Finding the Book. And I want to begin with an account that you're familiar with, at least you've heard the story of, uh, slightly at least. It was in the late 1946 or 1947, right in that time period, when there were a couple teenage Arab boys that were guarding or shepherding their sheep there in Syria, Jordan, and Saudi Arabia, that whole area, Palestine. And as they're watching their sheep, and one of the sheep begins to get lost or something like that, so they're going and trying to find their lost, actually it was a goat rather, their lost goat, and as they're journeying around in this desolate area, you know, somehow the sheep and the goats are able to find little blades of grass and get enough nourishment even in the desert, but as they're wandering around in this desolate area, and uh, they see a cave off in the distance, I don't think it was that one in particular, but a cave, this is the area where the caves were, and uh, they see a cave, and one of the boys throws a rock into the cave. You know, when you have a rock, or when you have a cave, or something like that, you want to try to hit it. And so he throws the rock in, but as he throws the rock in, he hears something that surprises him. It doesn't bounce off of the cave walls as was to be anticipated, but it sounds like pottery that broke. With that strange sound, he decides to go and to investigate, and as he goes into the cave, Some accounts are that he actually fell into the cave. But as he gets in there, he finds various, looking outside of one of those caves, various pots. And inside these pots are scrolls. Scrolls that he can't read. And so he collects some of these scrolls and brings them back to their tent. And they say that they hung them on one of the tent posts as they were trying to figure out what to do with them. They took them different places. And they sell them to a part-time antiquities dealer for about 20 or $30, some of them. And the first of the Dead Sea Scrolls begins to get out into circulation. Various things over the next few years, they actually find 10 or 11 caves. The one that I had a picture of was cave number four, where actually most of the manuscripts come from. And they have found, to date, 15,000 fragments of scrolls and 850 scrolls. Now, if you just calculated that out, 15,000 fragments and only 850 scrolls, then you know that there were a lot of pieces there. And so uh, one of the difficult tasks was trying to put the pieces of these scrolls together. But they've been working on it. 
And the Dead Sea Scrolls are considered to be the greatest biblical archaeological discovery, at least of the 20th century, perhaps of all time. And if you look at it in the just in the realm of archaeological discoveries as a whole, it ranks high up on the list as well. Because here we have virtually every book in the Old Testament, and many more, about 30%, 40%, right around there, are Old Testament books. There are uh, extra-biblical literature, and then there are a number of other uh, scrolls and descriptions of the community that lived there. One of the most important archaeological discoveries of all time, and why was it important? Because it contains some of the most oldest biblical manuscripts that we have. There may be one slight one, slight piece that is older than this. Most of them date back to 1st, 2nd, 3rd century BC. And we learn a lot about the time period in which John the Baptist and Jesus lived. And what were they? They were all found from a shepherd boy throwing a rock and hearing the rock hit that clay pot. These were lost books that had been lost for 2,000 years. And the significance is still being studied and uncovered today. But I want to study today. We could study biblical archaeology. That would be interesting. But I want to study about a lost book. A lost book and the ramifications that it had when it was rediscovered, and what those ramifications have for us as well. Turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 34. Second Chronicles chapter 34. We're coming to the very end of the kingdom of Judah. But before we come to the end of the kingdom of Judah, before Babylon comes and destroys Jerusalem and takes the kingdom of Judah and the people captive to Babylon, God works a great work in seeking to bring his people to repentance once again. And we have perhaps the greatest king since David that ascends to the throne of Judah. Now, how old was he when he came to the throne? Eight years old. I think there's someone in here that's eight years old. You don't have to be, you can, don't have to be old to be used by God, do you? Here Josiah, one of the greatest of the kings, begins reigning as king when he is eight years old. We read it here, Second Chronicles chapter 34, verses 1 and 2. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand 
or to the left. Here's Josiah, this young boy, and as he comes to the throne, the Bible records that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And then it goes and it gives us a little bit more of his experience. Verse 3, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. So how old was he in the eighth year of his reign? 16, right? And what does the Bible say he began to do when he was 16? It says that he began to seek the God of his father David. Now, I believe he did before, but apparently there was a deeper heart searching and a deeper seeking after God. You know, that's encouraging to me because many times when young people are in their teenage years, we have all sorts of things that we might refer to it as. Sowing wild oats, going over fool's hill, and all these other things. But Josiah, as a teenager, a 16-year-old, began to seek the Lord more earnestly. And then we continue reading in the verse, and in the 12th year, so how old is he in his 12th year? 20 thereabouts, right? So in the, when he's 20, in his 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. So here he begins this reformation that spreads throughout Judah and even to the northern kingdom area. He goes and he fulfills the prophecies regarding the king Josiah by name that was going to come and to burn the bones of the priest on the altar of the, uh, the priest that had for the golden calves at Bethel. But the most significant thing of Josiah's reign is found in verse 14. And we read it a little bit. Uh, well, actually, even before that, in verse 8, it says that he determines to repair the house of God. This is the 18th year of his reign, so he's around 26 now. So he began reigning at 8. He sought the Lord more deeply at 16, and then he goes and begins this purging idolatry at 20, and then at 26, he begins to repair the house of God. And it's this that acts as a catalyst that becomes the greatest feature of his reign. Verse 14. Now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. They're beginning to do the construction. They're beginning to remodel. Maybe not remodel. Fix up. And as they're beginning to do this work, the priest finds the book of the law of the Lord. Now, if he found the book of the law, what does that indicate to you? It was lost, right? 
You don't normally describe finding something if you've been using it and know exactly where it is, right? And so the book of the law was lost. Now, they were worshiping. The temple was there. In fact, many good things had been taking place before this, during Josiah's reign. Not so many good things during Manasseh and Ammon's reign. But what stark was, is uh, startling here is not only was this book of the law unknown to the king, but it was also unknown to the priest. Because the priest finds it. Now if the priest didn't know where the book of the law of the Lord was, do you think the people knew what was written in the book of the law of the Lord? No. It was lost. Now, the priest knows enough to know that this is significant. So we read in verse 15, Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan then brings the book to the king, and Shaphan reads it before the king. But the question has to come to us, why was the law, the book of the law, lost? Should it have been lost? No, absolutely not. In fact, when we read in Deuteronomy chapter 31, actually, let's turn back there to Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31, verses 24 through 26. The book of the law most likely here is referring to what we call Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, the writings of Moses, the Torah. That's what the Jews would call it today. Pentateuch in Christian circles. Deuteronomy 31, 24 to 26. So it was when Moses had completed writing the words of this law in a book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. Where was the book of the law to be kept? Beside the Ark of the Covenant, right? Now the Ten Commandments were placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. But the instructions given by God to Moses from the creation and onward were kept there beside the Ark of the Covenant. This indicates a position of great importance, doesn't it? But it wasn't to just 
stay there as a relic. We know that because verse 11 of Deuteronomy 31, this is talking about the year of release. Every seventh year there was a year of release. And notice what it says was to take place every seventh year. Verse 11 of Deuteronomy 31, When all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, and you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. What was to happen when they came together? It was to be read. Now, if you were going to read it, you had to know where it was, right? (laughs) And so God had designed that the directions, the instructions given by God to Moses were to be placed in a position of great importance And then they were to be taken out regularly and read, not just to the priests, not just to the king, but before all the people. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. Notice what God says to Joshua here. Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. How often was Joshua to be thinking about the book of the law? Day and night, right? Now, if you're thinking about it day and night, you certainly aren't going to lose it, right? Not only that. In Psalms, it was, says in Psalm 1-2, on his law doth he meditate day and night. The law should have been central, the book of the law, to the experience of ancient Israel. In fact, we find that when Joash who was another boy king, but unfortunately Joash only followed the Lord as long as his uncle was alive and directed him. But when Joash was made king, something significant was done. He was hidden in the temple, and then, I believe, although I could be wrong on this, I believe Joash was six when he was brought out, And into the temple they put the crown on his forehead. Not his forehead, his head. And then it says they placed the testimony in his hand. Along with the crown was a copy of the scroll of 
the covenant promises and curses to Israel. When the kings were, re- were uh, anointed and when they were set apart as king, they were to have the book of the law as a part of that service. Why? Because they were to rule according to the book of the law. Notice in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy 17. This is God knowing that they're going to ask for a king in advance and giving them directions in advance before they even ask for a king. But notice Deuteronomy 17 verses 18 through 20. And it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priest, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. What, does the, what was the king supposed to have? The book of the law, right? And it says that he's to get it and he's to have somebody copy it. He was to have his own copy and it says it shall be with him and he'll read it so that he can govern in accordance to that. God directed that the king was to have beside his throne the copy of the law that he could read it and govern accordingly. Do you ever have something that you like to have beside you all the time? You can refer to? You know, maybe you have a lot of cookbooks. But my guess is you probably have one or two that you like better than all the others. And those are the ones that are more accessible. Or maybe you have something that you want to be able to refer to. I have certain papers that I have on my desk that I know where they are so that I can refer to them regularly. Of course, the biggest example of something that people want to have with them, near them all the time, so that they can refer to is right here now, right? (laughs) There's an actual phobia that is listed now, I believe it's listed, as an actual phobia, fear of not having your phone. (laughs) Fear of the battery going dead. And God said, before he had anything like phones, God said, make sure that the king writes out or has it written out and keeps the book of the law right next to him so he can refer to it any time he needs to. 
because that's how he's to live. And that's how he is to govern. But the question is, how did it get lost? Because it was lost. Obviously, God's directions of having it beside your throne all the time were not being followed. Now, I tried to find when we could identify positively that the book of the law was in use before this. And we have to go back to Jehoshaphat's time. At least, that's what I was able to go back to. And it says that the priests and the Levites taught out of the book of the law. Now, Jehoshaphat was a good king, but he was 250 years before Josiah. Now, there are other references to the book of the law where they would refer to it. There was obviously an awareness of it. But apparently... the existence of it or the physical copies of it had become totally forgotten. Have you ever lost something before? And then, sometime later, you found it. And what did you say? I didn't even know I had it. Maybe you went out and bought another one. Maybe somehow you managed to live life without even having this thing. (laughs) And so when they discover the book of the law, they come to it, and as they find it, it's like, we didn't even know we had this treasure. And we find that the discovery of the book of the law brings about perhaps the greatest reformation during the times of the kings. We see the first thing Josiah does is Josiah repents. He rips his clothes. He says, we are in trouble. And then he sends word to the prophetess to hold up. And he says, what should we do? And she sends a message back. And then as we continue reading, we see that not only did Josiah do this, but he makes a commitment that he is going to follow the words of this law. Says the king in verse 31 of 2 Chronicles 34, Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies. And it continues. He read it. And then he said, I'm going to follow what I read. Now isn't that important? Too many times today we read and we just read for the experience of reading. The book of the law is not to be read like a novel or something like that. 
Josiah knew as he read it, it needed to be followed. But he does more than that. When we read in verse 35, he encourages the people and then he has it read to the entire nation. Discovering, reading, and acting upon God's message brings great revival. Now, it's a nice story. It's a good Old Testament story. It happened about 2,600 years ago. Why are we reading it today? The question I want to ask today is, have we lost the book of the law today? We have it, but there's a difference between having it and having it beside your throne at all times. You know, when we look at the world around us, has God's law largely been forgotten today? It has, hasn't it? It's here, but God's law has largely been lost sight of today. And I would suggest that the, when the book of the law was lost in Josiah's day, it wasn't that they did not know about the law, it was that they were not spending time with it. The book of the law was to be the major guiding force in the lives of the people of Israel. And the book of the law was God's message to them. We would equate it today to the word of God. Is God's word the, his message to us? How many households in this country have at least one Bible? I don't remember the exact statistics, but it is in the upper 80s to lower 90%. How many hotel rooms have a Bible in the Nightstand there. <laughs> Almost everyone, right? Bibles are everywhere, but Bibles are barely read. There's a poem, which is out of date now because, because it is but the concept is still relevant. And the poem talks about two books, one tattered and worn and one with cobwebs on it. And the two books that they're comparing are the Bible and the TV guide. And guess which one is well-worn and which one sits on the shelf with dust. 
I said it's out of date because I'm not sure that there's too many TV guides anymore, but the concept is still true. In order for God's law not to be lost, in order for his word not to be lost, we have to find it and we have to spend time with it. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16, Jeremiah 15, 16, notice what he says. He says, your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name. Jeremiah says, your words, I found them. I ate them. What does that mean? He ingested them, right? He meditated upon them. When you eat something, unless you're like our dog, You generally chew it. (laughs) You you spend time with it. And Jeremiah says, I found your word and I ate them. I spent time with them. And what did it become as he spent time with the word? The joy and the rejoicing of his heart, wasn't it? Does God want his words, his message to us to be the joy and rejoicing of our hearts today? We can't lose them. We have to spend time with them. But you know, as I was thinking about it, I think there's another so-called book that we might lose in our lives today as well. You know, God has given to us as his last day people an additional gift the spirit of prophecy. And we know about it, but it's only a blessing if we spend time reading and studying, right? Have you heard about the, and this is an out-of-date saying as well, I have them all full of -of out-of-date sayings today, I guess. Have you heard about the little red books on the bookcase. I say it's out of date because they're not read anymore, the newer ones, but the older ones were read. God has given us these materials to read, to study, to be a blessing. If we've never gone through, or if it's been a long time since we've gone through the Conflict of the Ages series, I suggest that we prioritize doing that. We've been reading in our family worship. We read, I don't know, I don't remember when we began. It must have been a year or more ago. We began reading and we read two, three, four, five, six pages a day from Patriarchs and Prophets and Prophets and Kings, Desire of Ages. Now we're in Acts of the Apostles. These are given to us as a blessing for us to enjoy and to read and to learn. If you've never read the testimonies, or if it's been a long time, it would be good to read them because if it just sits on the shelf or not even on the shelf, you can have it on your phone. If it just sits in your phone, it doesn't do any good. I was, last year, 
Uh, I read one of one of those books that I'd never read before, and it was a great blessing to me. So I've just been trying to find books that I haven't read on different subjects. Most of them are compilations, but uh, find these different books and read through them. And I encourage us, don't lose the book of the law. We have to spend time in God's Word. But I suggest we also, in addition to spending time with God's Word, we take advantage of the gift of prophecy that God has given to us as well, and we try to spend time with it and have a book that we're trying to read it all the time. I'm not saying you have to speed read or anything like that. I'm not saying we always put the Word first. But this is a blessing God has given to us to help us. But if it gets lost in the temple... What good will it do? Finding the book of the law. Have you ever lost something essential before? Your keys. Yeah, normally when I say that, everybody starts looking for their keys. (laughs) Your keys your wallet. One time we were traveling on the airplane and this was some years ago so the girls were all younger and so it's a little bit you're trying to get all your luggage and your kids and everything and uh, go from one airplane to another and we'd made it. We had transferred all of this over and uh, sitting down on our next airplane, I think it was a tight connection as well, sitting down there, and the steward, I think it was a steward or stewardess, one of the other comes on and says, Cody Francis, if you're in the plane, can you ring your call button? Okay, I wonder what that means. <laughs> so I ring my call button, and uh, he said, uh, I don't remember what he said, but he says, uh, somebody turned in your wallet. I didn't even know I was missing it. I was just working with the bags and everything, but Somehow somebody had turned it in, found out what plane I was going to be on, taken it down there, and the steward said, well, you got the important thing, you got your kid, but here's your wallet too. (laughs) I didn't even know I lost it. But let me tell you, I would have realized as soon as we got there, and then it would have been in trouble. When you lose something, what do you do? You, and it's important, you do everything you can to find it, don't you? If you've lost your keys, you're probably not going anywhere until you find those keys. You put forth effort. What could be more essential than God's message for us? If we'll put forth effort and we'll tear the house apart, we've done it before, haven't we? tear the house apart looking for whatever it is that we've lost, how much more effort do we need to put into making sure we don't lose God's message to us today? I want to make sure I don't lose the book of the law. I want to make sure that the messages that God gives from his word, from the gift of prophecy, that are 
used in my life, that sit beside my favorite chair, so to speak, so that I can always refer to them, so I can guide my life by the words that God has given to us. And as we determine that we are not going to lose the words of the book of the law, but we're going to make them a reality in our lives, that we're going to find them and eat them, and they're going to become the joy and the rejoicing of our heart, God will bring about the great reformation, the great revival that took place in the time of Josiah. And we need that revival today, don't we? May we put forth the effort. May we spend time with God's messages to us that that revival may be our experience.